When you talking about an entrepreneurial, you talking about an original staple of the cannabis game. Alright guys, I had to bring back the podcast. This is the first official episode of Chopping Game. And what other way to kick this off? I don't know how this could be more legendary than this. I got my brother Aryan in the house all the way from the Netherlands. This guy's a legend. If you've been living under a rock for the last 40 years, you have to do some research after this episode. This is Chopping Game, um, and we're gonna dive into a bunch of things. How you been, brother? I've been quite good, I have to say. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, honored to be here back in America. We were excluded from your country for two years. Why? COVID. Oh yeah. Nobody was allowed into America. From Europe? Yeah, nobody in uh, no, nobody from Europe was allowed for two years into America. Wow. So it was six months ago in November they reopened it, so now everybody can come again. So last time I was with you in person was in Jamaica? Yeah, it was amazing, eh? When are we going time. back? We have to go back soon. I, I had a blast with you in Jamaica. That shit was legendary and hopefully uh, hopefully this fall we get a chance to chill on Ibiza as well. Ibiza we're gonna chill, you know. There's always an open invitation for you and the family. I need, it. I need it this year. For and sure. Colombia's coming online. That's going to be, I mean, Colombia is going to be crazy. The way that things are developing out there is yeah, it's super dope, man. Um, I've known you for a long time. Uh, I met you when I was a kid. So, like, to actually have this opportunity to sit down and really, you know, talk story and kind of tell the world some of the things I'm sure they're curious about, especially a lot of these new kids, like, I'm sure there's so many people that just got in the cannabis game that doesn't really understand like your story, right? Like, yeah. Some of these new kids they don't really they don't really understand some of the you know, some of the legacy guys like yourself or yeah. even myself. They're just kind of they're brand new to the game. So, yeah. how long you been doing this for? Uh, this year, forty years. Forty years. Yeah, I started when I was sixteen. Sixteen. And I'm fifty-six now. And I was, I was last week, we were talking with the family, my son, Dax, who you will meet in the very near future, is already becoming a, a smoker. Born on 420. Your son's born on my 420? My son's born on 420. Wow. How crazy is that? And he said, Dad, how long are you in the game? And we start counting because it was my birthday, you know, for April. I said, I started when I was 16. I started when I had your age. He said, really? I said, yeah. He said, that's 40 years. I was living in shock when I, when you realize you're dead, and still every day, you know, I'm I'm blessed and humbled that I can do this and that I have the opportunity to grow plants and and meet people and meet guys like you and travel around and you see everywhere slowly getting legal, more and more countries coming online. Last week I was in Colombia, I was in Cape Town two weeks ago, and everything is moving. You don't look 56 at all. Thank you very much. You got you got to teach me the game. You've aged you've aged well. You look like you're in your late thirties or forties. So that's a that's a big thing. But you said forty years. You've been in the game for forty years. So you've seen a bunch of different changes. Yeah. Let's kind of take it to the beginning, right? Yeah. Let me start with the beginning. So 1968, 1969, it started in Holland in two very famous places. You know them, Paradiso and Melkweg. Uh, we had at that time a left-wing mayor, left-wing left council in Amsterdam, which we still have, luckily. Um, 
And they allowed a guy in front of the bar with a little purse to slowly start selling bags of weed. This was in the 60s. This is 68, 69, 70. Okay. And it was smuggled from Lebanon mostly and Morocco. And some of my family members were the first to do this. I can't mention any names. (laughs) They're still in the game. Yeah. So... They came with the first little bags of hash in their tires, driving all the way from Lebanon to Turkey, back to Europe. That's how it all started, the Red Lebanon, the big famous bags. I love the hash in Europe. Then it started in the Melkweg and Paradiso, and then I think 72 Werner with uh, Mellow Yellow was one of the first ones, then 75 Bulldog. And those guys started the game, and it was rough in the beginning. You know, they were like spreading out joints on big concerts and all that kind of stuff. And police didn't know what to do. The mayor said yes. The police said no. It was a you know hide and seek game, but it 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 went. And um, I start also growing later. And when I was sixteen, so seventy like eighty one, eighty two, eighty three. I was born in 83. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, and what was like back in 83, were you guys doing greenhouse, outdoor, indoor? No, no, there was absolutely nothing. There was at that time only Ben. He had, and Sam the skunk man, and there was this famous old Ed. He was, he died like 15, 20 years ago, and it was 82. He came with the first clones from California. In 82. Yeah, probably even earlier. But he was growing around that time, probably 80 or something. And there was no weed in the coffee shops. Huh? It was 95% hashish from Morocco and just Pakistan. Hash, yeah. And some bag weed, brick weed from Jamaica or Nigeria, which came with the ships in, but not a lot. And uh, that's basically what was available. And then my story, which... Probably everybody knows. I was 16 traveling around the world with my with my rucksack in north of Thailand. And as you know, I grew up in Africa. So I spent a lot of years there in Zambia, Mozambique, Mauritania, later Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, because my father was a miner. So you're all around the world. Yeah. So if you work for these huge companies, like my father was working with Charter Consolidate, which is a mining company, you're only allowed to work two years in each country for corruption reasons. So they move the management around. So every year, every two years, you're on a new school. And uh, yeah, so I was 16, went moving around in Thailand and smoking a little bit, you know how it goes, 15, 16, 14, and I really liked it. And I I stumbled onto a a rehab for opium guys, middle of nowhere, some village. And I was just looking for a sleeping place. And the guy said, yeah, you can sleep here. And make a long story short, one day became three days and three days became seven days. And he was an old medicine man. At that time, he was already like 78, quite old, and treating all those people. And I was really like, I was, what I saw there really grabbed me, you know? So you're using cannabis to get the other addiction away and it worked with some people. And he was explaining this to me and I was only 16. And when you're 16, you don't know nothing. Yeah, when you look back now, even now, you know, I'm 56, I look back to shit I did when I was 40, and I think, why do you do that, you know? That kind of stuff, no? And and when I left, he grabbed my hand and he put a bunch of seeds in there, yeah? He said, just remember one thing, these seeds in the future will overthrow governments. That was the only line he said to me. 
And I just looked and I thought, you're fucking crazy, mate. <laughs> you're like mad. Yeah. So you're 16 and you were, yeah. you were you found a place to crash at and they're actually treating people yeah. with addiction problems with cannabis in Thailand? Yes. Forward thinking, for sure. Yeah, very, very, very far forward. And it grabbed me, you know, because I didn't know nothing about drugs. I didn't know nothing about heroin and opium, all that kind of stuff. But it was like, mm, this was very interesting, you know. And I left, went back to Holland, started growing, not with those seeds, because they were like tight, skinny sativas, you know. Got my skunk seeds left and right. And in me, I was already a chef huh? in, 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 in my world. Everybody who says he's a really good grower, invite yourself at his house. Yeah, if they can't cook. If he can't cook, yeah, he can't grow. Yeah, yeah. So, Flavors everything. You know, it's yeah. all about the terps now yeah. these days. For and sure. um, uh, even for me, much more than how potent it is, you know. And, uh, and <laughs> so I went back and started growing. And then it was, yeah, um, early 80s. And I went to the bulldog, who's a family friend. I went to a few other coffee shops and I gave them my weed. And it was different than the weed they were used to, you know? Mm -hmm. And they started selling the skunk. And then I came with the master kush and I came with those kind of uh, varieties. And they liked it. And they were selling a little bit of it because yeah, still the market was 95% hashish. And the Dutch really didn't like cannabis at that time. They called it cat piss. Uh, that's, which that's, that's really a funny, name, that's yeah. a proper strain name now. Yeah, yeah. But that was the first strain name ever named in Holland, cat piss. Wow. Yeah, that, so, that's real history because yeah. we we talk about like various staples like strains that we love, and it's always like the champelli, the cat piss, things like that. Yeah. So cat piss came from the name, the term came from Europe. Yeah, and it was a skunk plant. Yeah. Mm. So, um, but then late eighties, I start fooling around with masativas because I personally more like the high of the sativa than the couch lock of the indica. Yeah. yeah. I like them both, but if I really want to taste and I want to be creative, like we're creative people, I just prefer to, to have the sativas. Me too. I mean, that's why we kicked off the lemonade brand. The lemonade yeah. brand that I kicked off was based on like just a different flavor profile for sativa because I love sativa and people kind of downplay how good sativa is, especially for like the smoker that smokes all day. You. You gotta stay up. You can't just blaze into because no, all day you're gonna no, fall out. No, you want to mix no. it up a little bit. No, no. So what happened? '88. I had all these nice sativas. I knew Neville already at that time, and I made two kilos and one kilo. And I went to the same coffee shops as before, and I gave it to the guys, believing then they were gonna sell it and we'll have a great time. Two months later, I came back, pick up my money and whatever, and they said I got the weed back. Didn't like it. Hmm. Yeah, that was the game in Holland. There was like nothing. Some people smoke skunk and, 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 and that was it. So went home and I'm sitting there and what I'm gonna do now? And my wife looked at me and said, well, if you really believe in it, then why don't you start your own coffee shop? This is 92, you know? So and then she said, let's do it totally different. At that time in Amsterdam, all the coffee shops were Rasta flags, you know, yeah. like, yeah things in the hood, you know, she said, let's start a high-end one. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, we make it like a really nice bar with nice walls. If your mom and my mom pass by, they're not gonna see it's, it's a coffee shop. It's like classy, clean. You can get a bottle of wine, you can get your beer, it's classy and clean, you can get great food. We're gonna do it like this. So I never forget this also because, you know, I, I'm quite open, you know, we did the press a lot. And so I wrote my idea to the mayor and to the head of the police. 
And this letter comes back to me 10 years later when the mayor meets me for the first time or five years later, you know? No, three, it was three years later. So I write these letters and invite them for the opening of my new hybrid club. They never answered and they never showed up, of course. But I tried, no? And um, 92, like we have this whole 15, 12 varieties of weed. And for three, four, five months, I sell... $50 a day. Mm. Yeah? It was too advanced. It was too advanced. Market. I yeah. still had my hash oil. You know, that, that was selling. And we had the bar and it was too advanced. Then on a day, Kennedy family pops up who owned High Times Magazine. He died very recently, by the way, like two years ago. And, and um, I had no idea of the existing of a magazine. I was 26 years old. Yeah, I had no idea about America. We had no clue. America was really far away, yeah? Mm -hmm. And there was not much happening in America also at that time. So he said, do you want to uh, be part of my magazine? We're going to do some kind of contest. We're going to be here with Thanksgiving in November. And um, I'm going to find some more coffee shops. And if you have some great weed, then we would like you to enter that great weed. Because they got the word already that there was one guy in the pipe where Rihanna and Miley Cyrus and all the people come, when you go backstage, with be real. We have that whole place. You already hear it in the, huh, the sound, and there's one guy there who got some good stuff. So that's how why they came. And I said, yes, yeah, sure, of course I'll enter, but this is in April. Six months later, it's November, and we totally forgot about the high times, you know? <laughs> we had no idea because you never called anymore. You know those magazines? Yeah. And suddenly there's 400 people in front of the door. Oh, shit. Luckily, we had to eat called my friend and my wife and everybody had to work. Well, make a long story short, six days later, you remember the old Buddha discotheque under the bulldog from yeah. Hank? Yeah. They, that was the, 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 the award ceremony place. But we're talking uh, 93 or something. First time there they came. There has never been a world championship marijuana. Yeah. So yep. the whole press came on it. CNN, BBC, Japanese television, Australian television. There were like 20 proper uh, television stations. And everybody got paranoia, you know, because we were all illegal growers yeah, there and there and there. Everybody's going to recognize now. So everybody, I don't know what the fuck, all these cameras, what are we going to do now, you know? All my growers panicking, everyone like, okay. So anyway, I so, said, okay, I'm just going to do it. And we're standing in the back and we never thought we were going to win anything also. We're just chilling in the back having a beer. Then they had a few Americans. They had Gatwood Galbraith. I don't know if you remember that name. I never heard of that. No, he was running for governor in Kentucky. And before the Second World War, Kentucky was the big hemp state in America. And he was trying to bring that back already. You know, he was an advocate for, for hemp farmers in Kentucky. So he was there and a bunch of other people chip from enough is enough all these old bands they were there you know so it was quite cool and then they announced there were only six places or six prices and then they started announcing the prices and yeah to make a long story short we won five of the six and all the camera was like boom right on you and was the first store in the red light no in the pipe uh, the 92 one just not where you come often but you were always in the center with me because that's basically our flagship store mm -hmm. and the other one of course your your cookies place now which will come on later um so it, it all happened there that was the only store we had yeah we had no seed company we were making seeds but we had no seed company we had one little store and funny part is that store so my wife said you know 
go start your own store. So we start looking for a store. At that time, already a store in a good place was already like 300,000 uh, guilder, which is now euro, mm-hmm. which at 90s, in the 90s, a lot of money, yeah? Especially if you're a small-time well, girl. Well, like close to like a million or something like that, like in that time? Like yeah. if it was like now? I think even more now. Yeah. You know, maybe five or six times, you know? Oh, shit. But anyway, my family member of mine calls me, said, Arjen, you're looking for a shop. I went there. I really don't want it. It's in like in the hood in the wrong neighborhood. And I'm not interested. I'm in the center of Amsterdam with all the tourists. You can go have a look. So I go there. <laughs> and there's five guys sitting behind a table, all gangsters. And they want to get rid of it, you know? And I walked in there. I was 26, the youngest guy with my partner. And I already knew there were like 60, 70 people pass by and said, we want to have this store and whatever. And we only had 10,000 euros, guilders. And we had them with us like a pile of money. And I said, whatever happens, if I feel it, I do this, you know? <laughs> I don't know why we had that idea because we're young and stupid. So you want to make it happen. We walk into this t- to this thing. The office was upstairs. I'll show you the place. We, st- we still have it. That club is still open until today. Oh, that's great. Huh? Yeah, and that's the club you're going to see now that we turn into a super VIB only for all the rappers. Right now in my house, I can show you some pictures with 25 rappers in Holland in my house in Ibiza making the new album of Rotjoch, the number one rapper of Have Holland. I been to the club, this one that you're talking about? Have I, been? I think you have been a long time ago, but I'm not sure. You have to see it. But anyway, I walk in there, we sit down and... Those are all guys of 45, 50 years old, you know, and I am 26. My partner is also 26. Yeah, boy, you're way too late. You know, we have three great offers and we just say hello because somebody asked us to stay here for you, blah, 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 you know, like that. And I said, yeah, okay. So, but I said, did anyone pay? And it was 100,000, yeah? He said, no, 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 but that's all going to happen tomorrow because, you know, this is how the things go. And I just pulled out the money and put it on the table. I said, place is mine. And they were all not sober. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. And one looked to the other and the guy said, okay, you can have it. So I got the place. It was really weird. But that, like for people listening, like people always ask me like advice about how to get things done. And I mean, that's the definition of being an entrepreneur, like, so many times, in my, so many times in my life, I went places and just pulled out some cash, even if it wasn't what it was. In, it works in total, just to show you're serious. Like people would be like, "Okay, this guy's he's on his shit." Well, I told them that that I was really serious, and then the guy also looked at me. So, okay, well, if you can pay it, it's fine. When we have the rest of the money, I said within a week. But then the problem started because I didn't have the ninety thousand. So what we did is my mate. His sisters had three big bars in Amsterdam and very good contact with Heineken. So we went to Heineken, pretend we were going to start a bar. Yeah. And we got the 90,000 from Heineken. So we opened as a bar. And that's the reason I sent the letter to the mayor because there were no bars with marijuana. Yeah. There was no law. We yeah. went to court and we won. That also all happened. That, that's a lot of details. For, for the young people out there that are going to go to Amsterdam now and go to the greenhouse or any other coffee shop. When I first went there, when I was 18... I remember being able to have a vodka or a beer at the bar, smoke weed. Yeah. I, I remember trying to flirt with one of the waitresses at your place. I, mean, I was 18. <laughs> I was like, this is heaven. We're out here. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. We're in Amsterdam. Like, you know, just a little history for you. And this is cool for, because I've known you for so long. I haven't heard some of these stories. Like, the main reason I went to Amsterdam so young was the owner of the dispenser I used to work at. She wanted to show us what hospitality yeah. was supposed to be like, right? She said, I want to bring our best employees every year 
out to Amsterdam so they could see what a lounge is supposed to feel like. Because we used to have the smoking lounge at the dispensary. So I remember pulling up when I was 18 years old, 19 years old, and I would go to your store in the red light. And it would be during the High Times Cup, right? I'd go there go there as a judge, go get my flower from your store, go get the flower from other stores. And I remember going to your store and seeing everyone hover around you, right? Mm-hmm. I remember seeing everyone hover around you. I'm like, holy shit, this guy, this is the guy, right? I'm like, I got to get his attention. And I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but the next year I came, I brought some granddaddy purple and some sour, and I tried to give it to you. I think you were sitting down, you took it, and you said, thank you, I'll smoke this later with my wife. I said, okay, cool, thank you. But I remember I remember. Seeing, we have pictures together at yeah, that time, huh? there are yeah, pictures. Yeah, I was super young, but I remember seeing you, like, it was like everyone was hovered around you, yeah. and there was all these pictures on the wall, and it was like, this was the spot, right? Yeah. Like, this was a spot, um, which brings me to my next point. Like, you claimed yourself the king of cannabis, right? Yeah. And, you know, to me, like, that that's a big hat to wear, right? Yeah. But I think you've justified, after 40 years of being in the game, especially, like, in the European game, like, I'm sure the under the underground world was crazy in the earlier years before it started getting the way it was. Like, what, what made you, like, grab that title and made you stand on that title because that that's a big title it's a very big title and um i uh, i carry it and i did a lot with it and i'll try to explain a little bit what all happened for example we we're just talking about the alcohol mm-hmm. and what nobody still don't realize here maybe in the united states we are still totally under pressure everything is illegal what we do yeah yeah Yep. So all my growers, 80 growers in total, are all illegal. I buy it at the front door, I buy 500 grams, it goes into my store. It's an impossible situation. We get attacked in the United Nations by France, by Sweden, by all kinds of countries for our policy. This is going on from the 80s until now. Yeah, um, United Nations treatments that we violate, uh, then they treat us, threat us with sanctions, all that kind of stuff. Um, I opened that coffee shop in 92 and we were getting more and more under pressure. Now it's 95 and we get a new mayor, Schelter Partijn. So I became the advisor of three Amsterdam mayors after to make, to make clear where I'm going with this story. And we see more and more problems coming and we think we have a great product and we think we're doing something really good because coffee shops in Holland, you can see a black guy, a white guy, a Chinese guy, and an es- Eskimo on one body table sharing a joint. I love that about Holland. This is how Amsterdam and Holland is, you know? Mm-hmm. This is a multiracial country where we all respect each other. Yep. And the coffee shop is the ultimate space for that. Yep. Yeah? Smoking, talking about life. We see we are under pressure, and I'm thinking my ass off, you know, how how... Holland is under pressure at that time from the United States, from Sweden and from France in the United Nations, but big, eh? big pressure. The minister's coming back. I'm talking to the mayor and to other people, but we don't have anything yet going. So 94, we start Base Day, the Cannabis Retailers Association, because the mayor comes there, so he all wants to close us. I go to council, I speak to the Socialist Party, Annemarie Grevel, Partij van de Arbeid, Socialist Party, lesbian woman, but big fighter. She was the actually real mayor of Amsterdam for 20 years in council. Behind the scenes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, not really behind the scenes. She had a chair and she said, Arjen, listen, 
It's not going to happen with the mayor once. Get a bus, tour us around. And you know what? You guys really, really have to organize yourself. You have to be a, a proper, uh, you need a proper spokesperson. You need a chairman. You need to come speak here in parliament. You need to help us also. And then I, that started. We started this whole big organization, which until today exists. Joachim, our great friend, is now the spokesman for the last 15 years. And he's been chairman for 10 years. And... Um, um, I'd need to pull it bigger because I see the other countries are creating issues, yeah, especially America. And I said then, guys, why don't we create some kind of character, some kind of king of cannabis? We start getting people over from America because we already had celebrities. There is a king of cannabis. I start talking to those celebrities and beg them, go back to America and help us and go tell on public, yeah, that that we have a great thing going on here. Great in, system, yeah. You know, great system, and go tell that. And then I met Woody Harrison, Bill Maher, all those kind of people, and later Miley Cyrus pulling out a joint in MTV, Rihanna, advocating for us. Yeah. This helped us a lot. Yeah? yeah. That's good to hear like that, because most people would think you're saying I'm the king of cannabis because I'm the biggest, I'm the best, I'm the best. Yeah. The way you did it was kind of like advocate for like, yo, this is a good thing. We need to spread this awareness all around the world because that's what I did. When I went to Amsterdam, I'd come back home at 18, 19 and be like, this is how it should be. I was in your store with a kid from Japan that spoke no English and we were vibing for like two or three hours when I was like 19 years old over the weed. He was so ecstatic about the weed. He was so happy about it. I remember going back and telling all my boys like, yo, how was Amsterdam? I said, it was cool. But the coolest part was there was this kid from Japan that was so excited about the weed. He was getting loaded. He was my boy. We didn't even speak the whole time. I, he, he didn't know English. No. But we chilled. We ordered fucking drinks. We yeah. ordered milkshakes. We yeah. got loaded. I could just, you know, we vibed out. And that was that was kind of the coolest but, part. Yeah. So I created the king of cannabis. It attracts apparently a lot of people. And look what happened in America right now. Yeah. You are like you are me in America. That's crazy. Yeah? And you are like 20 times bigger now. Yeah. And you came to my shop and you saw this all happening. This is how good the idea was, you know. It was incredible. And yeah. we never, we never, because you could see, ah, he's king of cannabis. He's not going to utilize this brand. I own this brand, kingofcannabis.com. I have never sold one product under this brand. You don't have to. I mean, it's no, it's it's because this was for the industry. This yeah. was all for us, you know. And my only goal was to help a little bit into the legalization process where I can, you know. And that's how I came up with um, the king of cannabis. Let me ask you a question. Like, I think Amsterdam and Europe had like a a big role in like normalizing cannabis and like the consumption of cannabis with other people. But now if you put yourself in, in today's day, it's going backwards. Now the U S is opening up. Yeah. Canada has opened up and Amsterdam wants to go backwards. Yeah. And you always told me he's had to go meet with the press and, and politicians over and over and the mayors. Why do you think after all these years, after being the front runner of cannabis and like, you know, representing such a free place you got the red light you got legalized prostitution drugs are accepted like why would they want to go backwards in cannabis and how does that feel like you coming out to the u.s and seeing how big it's getting out here but then something you've been fighting for for 40 years is starting to go backwards is, is that a trip to you look um it's the thing that occupies especially yo and now five hours a day yeah we work 15 hours a day so do we have 10 hours left to do other stuff but it's a huge problem. And look, Amsterdam 
we created um, and legalized abortion, euthanasia, uh, marijuana, gay marriage. This all comes from this amazing city. Yeah, Amsterdam is like the most innovative spot when it comes to like freedom. You can probably combine, uh, compare it a little bit maybe to Oakland where all the stuff started in the past yeah. with Berkeley Patient Group and yeah. all those, you know, those Debbie Goldsberry and Steve D'Angelo long time ago. You know, it's a little bit like... It's, it's like that in like a sense that like it's a super gray area. Like when I yeah. was working at the dispensary in the proposition 215 days, you can come in, anyone can come then, kind of like the way it is in Amsterdam. It's open door policy. Yeah. If a vendor comes in, you decide the price, you buy it, you put it on the shelf. That's yeah. that was the best time in California. Yeah. yeah. That's kinda is it still that way in Amsterdam? Yeah, it's still that way in Amsterdam. Yeah. Although we, of course the growing is super illegal, so we're limited where we can go and look and it's buy. The, and yeah, that that was one of the questions I want to talk to you about today. Like has operating in a gray life like a gray lifestyle, has it been hard for you, bro? Like as a yeah, person it's hard. Like, it's hard. Because you can't really ever get the peace of mind you can't really sleep at night right like it's nah. you have to be very clever and we want to get into details because we don't want to put too much in but if you know you know type shit operating in a gray market has to be tough it's very tough it, let's say we sleep with one eye open yeah you have to you know you have to and and, and now we're gonna there's 10 license coming in holland so the first small cities will have marijuana in the next two to five years and then in five years they're gonna evaluate everything and I'm pretty sure everything will go through because there's no reason not to. And then whole Holland will be kind of backdoor legalized and then it's over. So we have another five years of... But still, that's crazy to think. You guys have already been rocking for so long. Yeah. For other countries, especially yeah. the US, to start opening up before you guys, it seems a little backwards. Well, that's why I moved to other countries, you know, I moved to Congo, I work in South America, you know, we work with you guys. And uh, yeah, it's for me easier to work in other countries where it's legal than to work in Holland, you know? Every time I see you, man, I think about Franco because when I was at the, the store now where the Cookies Lounge is, I remember he hosted me and we got a good vibe and I got a vibe with him in Spain as well. Like, yeah. You know, let's talk about first of all, rest in peace to Franco. That was uh, that that's a staple in our industry. That guy was he was doing his thing for a long time. How yeah. did you meet Franco? How did you get involved with him and partner with him? That's a good question. So if I um, I obtained with an American guy called James Burton. Uh, he had uh, SIM Stichting of Institute of Medical Marijuana. He was a Vietnam veteran with glaucoma. His two brothers got blind and him not because he was smoking. Mm. But he was a paria here in the United States and he ran to Holland as a refugee. Met the guy, uh, we did, uh, we had like a few hundred patients every week coming to my coffee shop because that was the only place where we could treat patients. So we were the first in the world with having like on-site help for patients, you know? So you see these women coming and well, we know all about diseases. You both and I suffered from a lot. Um, so you see all these patients coming and then the Dutch government, we could persuade them to, this is 2001, we got the first medical license ever. But because I was a coffee shop owner, I could not be technically involved. And I needed a really passionate guy. And we were living above the coffee shop in the water plant, which, which we still have. And there was Franco working, he was really young at that time. Um, and he was working there since 98 and we're talking 2001 and he sp spoke six languages. And my wife said, you should go check that out, that guy there, because 
He's more than a regular butt tender. I mm-hmm. think you want him as your right hand because he always talks about growing when I'm seeing. He shows me the plants and he's really passionate. And I asked him two times, my wife said, are you growing? I love to grow. So go check this guy out. So I went to Franco, I called him in. I said, listen, we're going to get the first license. This was the first license in the world. Eh? And um, I said, you're interested to work? He said, I don't care. I'll sleep there seven days a week. I'll work 365 days a year. I need no holidays. Put me in that glass house. So I did that. He worked his ass off in from 2001 to 2004. Then we got screwed over by the Dutch government because in the end, they were going to, um, how you say that, they will pay the health system for that. And it all didn't happen. Many other small issues. We stopped selling seeds also. And then in 2004, we said, okay, this is not going to work for us. Uh, Not enough patients in Holland. We're losing a lot of money every month. Uh, Franco, you come with me. We're going to start making seeds now. And that's how Franco and I started evolving. Then, since 95, we're doing King of Cannabis until 2005. And I was, you know, I was done with that. And everybody said, oh, yeah, I can also do King of Cannabis. I said, well, come with something else, son. Well, until now, I think you are the only guy with me doing something on videos, no? Yeah. You did this, this great mania thing, which is fucking awesome. The one we did in Jamaica, yeah. yeah, marijuana mania. And also the one here in Cali you did, no? Yeah. 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 And um, then I was lying and lying and lying. And I thought, you know, I grow everywhere all over the world. I go collect, collect genetics. And I was sitting with Franco and I said, you want to come with me? We're going to make a movie and I'm going to call it Strain Hunters. And he wow. looked at me and said, you must be fucking crazy. So I went back to the all of to the to the office to Yo and all the guys. And my wife was said, Arian, you're gonna get killed, you're gonna go in prison, we're gonna lose everything. Because it was 2005 was quite crazy, you know, to go it, to a yeah, jungle, yeah? yeah. Yeah, you guys were doing some crazy ass shit. Well, Taliban and FARC, you know, yeah. just to mention a few. That's you know. And Franco said, Well, I have an uncle, he's a camera guy, let's take him. And I was so scared I didn't want to come. <laughs> But I'm anyway, still, long story short, we did it and it became a hit. We'll I'm talk about try- that later. I'm still trying to get enough balls to go somewhere with you and do that. But I, I remember watching those videos and being like, man, these guys are really out there looking for, for yeah. the next thing. But like, not like you're just going to a different state or something, like looking at jars. You, got, you guys were going into like the jungles and crazy ass places. Well, you know, the jars you can always do, but... I'm going to take you, you know, that you're going to come with me. I morning. have to. It's, it's a life goal thing. There's many countries we can do. There's some less safe, but I can take you to a really safe one. But you know what? The Doing this with friends, it's a holiday, you know? Yeah. And now we did South Africa. We raft 100 k's in the river. Man, you know how good it was. We're fishing in the river. We're setting up our tents on the side. The marijuana is there. We're having such a great time. We're smoking the whole day in that cliff in South Africa for five days. The telephones didn't work. No connection. Of course, for emergency, we have a satellite phone, but we don't use it. We tell the whole family, guys, we're five days offline. You know how nice that is. Yeah. The experience, the people see it on television, you know. To be able to do what you love with your friends and also document and share it with the world, that's that's a life goal situation. And like... I got to give you so much props and, and your flowers now because after Franco passed away from, you know, just being in another country and what comes with that, like you still, I asked you, I remember asking you, how are you still going? Because I, I looked at that when that happened and I wondered in my own head, like, how is he going to be able to go to Africa or go to these places still and not be scared of something that just took away his best friend, right? Like, yeah, well, you know, 
we were devastated and still are, you know, we were, I was crying last week, you know, I still get very emotional when I think about it. Yeah. But I stopped making movies for three and a half years. Of course, COVID didn't help a lot also, but yeah. I wanted to start making movies again after three years, but I just couldn't do it without him, you know? And then, but what I did when we made the Congo movie, we promised the people there that we're going to help them. Well, you saw the footage all over Instagram. It's 200 people working there. We trained 20,000 people growing in Congo. Like we also did in South Africa, which we didn't film. We're going to film that also. The whole South Africa is growing because of us. The whole Congo is growing because of us. We really changed things. You changed the game out there. Colombia, you know, yeah. I was in the front of all newspapers and six, seven years later, it's legalized. St. Vincent, uh, you know, and Trinidad, all those, uh, not Trinidad, St. Vincent, and Beckway, those islands. We left, president went on national television and said, listen, if the Americans are growing marijuana, you can have an ounce of wheat, you can have an ounce of wheat here on the beach. Wow, where is it at? St. Vincent, Beckway, wow. Mystique, the most expensive islands in the world. He just went on television and said it. He said, and it's ridiculous, you know, are we still banning a plant? Yeah. You know, and it's not looking good to legalize it better. If you look at the whole discussion in America about abortion, which is, you know, very old discussion. You want to bring it back, you know, like it's, it is just all very, very difficult. But so we promised it. So I went back to Africa. I went back where Franco died. My office was technically where he got really sick, you know, and the office is still there. And yeah, yeah. You know, this, this very unfortunate thing happened in life, you know? Do you feel like, do you feel responsible to see through what you guys started? Like you guys started straight hunters together. You guys started going to these certain yeah. areas together. Do you feel like a pressure inside of you to keep it going for him? Like there's no way you could just give it up, right? No, no way. No, well, it was of course my passion for 40 years. So yeah. it's, it's, I just have to do it and I'm yeah. going to do it. I was talking to my son and he's 16 now and he said, well, I'm still a kid. I can't come dad. He said, but one day I'm going to come and I want to take you and, 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 if you think father, probably Franco is growing upstairs for us. When you and I arrived there, exactly, the, uh, Franco probably got a grow room ready with some stuff yeah. for us. You know, he brought he brought some uh, legendary genetics. So if we come up there, he say, "Why did you stop downstairs?" You know. Yeah. So it's you know we took three four years we didn't make any movies because I just couldn't do it, and now I just did uh, did um, uh, South Africa. I did it with Dust. Dust is also with me now nine years. Shout out to Dust. Shout out to Dust, brother. They, they wouldn't let him in the country last time because yeah. he smelled like, what did they say? They what took the, well, it's a Rasta, you know, his hair is on the ground. Man. They took a swipe off his back and it was positive for THC. And and of course it was. He gets high every day, all day, just like every yeah. one of us. That, that, was, uh, that was some bullshit. So Dust, hopefully you can come out here soon. That, that's our big brother right there. And Dust is probably one of the best breeders in the world. He's got pro one of the best five noses in the world. He's eight years with me. And he, he, he's the boss of the club together with Oscar of the Australian Club in Barcelona. You've been there many times. And I said, you want to become a movie star? <laughs> he said, let's do it. You know, so he basically is the new Franco. And yeah. of course, his knowledge is amazing. And he's passionate about what he does. And he's a great, he's a great host as well. Like when I first yeah. met Dust, he held us down. We went to Spain like... That was my first time going to Strain Hunters in Spain. He yeah. made me feel very comfortable. That was like my second home when I was there. I went there every day just to go chill there and just kind of soak up the vibe. So, you know, he, he's, a, he's a good guy to be on the ground with you for sure. Well, and what is really, really amazing from this guy, look, he went even alone to Congo. They even put his ass back on an airplane because the visa was not good. He had to wait on the airport. Never one complaint in his life. That. 
You know what I mean? This is what we want, you know? As as an entrepreneur, as a business guy with all the crazy stress that we have every day running crazy businesses, the last thing you want is a fucking complainer, like someone that complains, not grateful for what you're... You know, where you're providing, because ultimately you're providing an experience on something you've been building for fucking 40 years, right? It's a timeless experience. Um, I want to talk to you about the Greenhouse Seed Company because I've seen a lot of seed companies come and go. A lot of people have troubles uh, staying consistent with their seeds, you know, uh, making making right when things go wrong. How long have you been making seeds for officially with the Greenhouse Seed Company? I launched it officially in 95, but I started making seeds in 85. Oh, fuck. Yeah, so and I still have a lot of those. I probably have I don't know six, seven thousand hybrids in the fridge that and I've that, never used. That's what I'm most excited about. Like what we're gonna do together. Like yeah. to be able to take some of the new things that's mm. popping right now, take them with some like staples, right? Exactly, right. You see it. My my man brought some work uh, just to to that we're gonna run through at our one log facility and. But to take staples that have been around since the 85s and 99s and 93s, like you probably have shit that we grew up on. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, and this is also, you know, one of the reasons we have the big facility in Congo and we have the big facility in uh, in Colombia, in big glass houses, so outside even, you can run thousands and thousands of plants. And this is really what you want, you know? What, what are those pheno hunts like? Like when you're in the Congo and you guys are harvesting, like, what did you call it? It's not an acre. What do you call that shit? Hectares? Valleys. Valley. Okay. Yeah, my, <laughs> the boy valley. Got, my boy got a valley. It's not an acre. It's not a hectare. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a fucking valley. Like... When you're pheno hunting a valley, like how does that feel, bro? Yeah, like, so it we do between depends a little bit on the variety. So we have it because we're on the equator, also in Colombia. Yeah, and the other reason we are there is you have much bigger seeds that look really poor now. You know, please please tell him about this because he showed me pictures of seeds that were like <laughs> they looked like they were like not real Man, seeds. Melon seeds. <laughs> they look like they were like uh, seeds yeah. of for some I've never seen before. Them seeds look healthy as fuck. Yeah. Why is it? That, why are they coming out so much better? Out there, sunlight, the sunlight, yeah, sunlight's amazing. You're on the equator, so there's like no filter there, you know. It's like that, that's boom. like that's mother nature, yeah. that's magic, right? And there. and also, they are 10 to 14 days quicker, ready, yeah, you know. So, and yeah, the costs are you can basically grow them outside. So, we got 40 glass houses in that particular place, and in a 40 glass, each glass house can have, I think, six or seven thousand plants. So that's, how much is that? For three, four hundred thousand plants. So and then in a valley, we put between 20 and 60, depending on the variety, 60,000. And that you pheno hunt or you make seeds or you do whatever, all the options are open. Every valley is like a few kilometers from a few miles from each other. And then you keep like also the five week period. So you don't have any cross pollination, just to be sure, you know. And then you move all the plants from the glass house where they pre-grow. We have additional light, little little six watts of uh, with a 125 kVA generator. And then you just pre-grow them like one and a half feet and they end like two feet, you know? Do people in Africa smoke a lot? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, big smoking community. So what is the law like in Africa? Can you just blaze it up? Like if you just- The law is if you get caught, you pay 50 or $100 to the police. That's, that's like Mexico. It's like everywhere, same. Yeah, that's which is cool. Like I can, I can sure. deal with that. Yeah, we like, can deal with that. Yeah, it's, it's just, be- it's justified. The police also understand they should not put the people in prison. 
The people also have to do a job. The police are getting very underpaid in most countries. It's quite a sad story. I like to think too, if you got, if you got valleys of seed production and pheno hunting, you're hiring people there. You're providing work. Yeah, yeah. You're you're providing work. Not only work, you're providing knowledge of a whole different booming industry. Like yeah. they're learning a lot. Besides yeah. the money, yeah. you're providing people's families and stuff like that. Like you're giving them actual knowledge, which knowledge is more key than anything. Like knowledge is worth more than the, the money they're making so what we do we pick we put five to twenty thousand phenos and we just find the phenos we want everything is backed up of course in the glass houses or hoop houses i don't know how you guys call them we have plastic roofs that are all locally made with local wood and everything and it works fine yeah and then that pheno we make whatever we want to make and then again whatever seed we make we can put out two thousand three thousand to see uh, you know how 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 stable are they? Is there any problems? You will see one male on five hundred females or on thousand females. So even with feminized seeds, you will between three hundred and five thousand, you will have one, two, or three males depending on the variety. That's how strong nature is—a true male coming yeah. through. Yeah. So yeah. So that's yeah, our collaboration that we're going to do in the future. Uh, and that we are already doing, and we have some crosses here with our super lemon haze that you ask us to make for you, which turned out amazing. So yeah. some of the some of the some of the popular strains out there right now have super lemon haze in it. You wouldn't even know, right? I um, I checked. I would say from the three big seed five six seed banks in America, three of them use my super lemon uh, male, super lemon haze male, and we all know them. And and they also come to me say, and we use your mail, and I'm proud they use my mail, you know. And it's some just, say it in the some say it in the in the in the media, you know, that it, they use super it's, lemon it's haze. Compliments to your work, man. Like yeah. pe- people breed with cookies or things that we popped off. I've, I like like shit. At least I'm relevant enough for them to do that, right? Because well, the other the other side of it is they're not breeding with my shit. They're not using my no. shit. That means I didn't do a good job, right? No. No, look, look, people, look, the seeds are out there. People get them, and people make new seeds, you know. And well, look, if you look at that part of the, our industry, and when I started becoming high times world champion with the White Widow and Super Silver Ace with Neville and all those right Super Lemon. You, you've won a lot of awards, man. Yeah, 44 high times cups. You got a lot of trophies. <laughs> and, yeah. and I remember people, look, people hate on me, people hate on you. I remember people saying, man, there's no way it's rigged. Look, bro, the man has owned this space for a long time and has been consistent. Like, I don't know why it's so hard for people to understand. Well, you know, I always, um, you know, I do a lot of meditation and I do a lot of, I don't try to listen too much to all those people. Of course, it always affects you. It hurts your feelings. And we know why, you know, why you talk bad about somebody else, just concentrate, do your own thing. But I had one of the three biggest American breeders coming to him when he was, you know, not always nice around him about me. And I came here and I saw him for the first time nine or 10 years ago. He was in a group. So I got introduced to him by another friend. And he said, and out of himself, he said, I don't have to apologize to you. I was kind of rough on you, but I just want to say, I really admire you. And I was just jealous. Yes. So he, he stood up, you know? Hey, and props to him, dude. Props exactly, to him. props, yeah, to, props him. to him. And, yeah. and then I realized, okay, that's good for me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I don't listen to all these things, you know? And it, you know, what can we do? Look, you know, you go in prison, you go out prison. You know how many times we were broke? You know how many times our grow rooms got busted? You know how many times I had to take people out of prison? 
How many sleepless nights? You How have? many sleepless nights, yeah. man? And we're fighting, you know. And I'm I'm 56 now, and I'm still fucking fighting. Where and, everybody and, who's and, bashing is sitting on his yacht somewhere. You and know. And here's the thing: you could literally, you probably could step away from all this shit and never have to work again, right? But the point is that you're passionate about, it, you love it, and besides, besides being in the game for a long, a long time and doing good work, like you're also, you're also kind of like innovating and like you're you're opening up lanes for whole countries like look yeah. at what you're doing in the congo like not a lot of people are going to go out there and open up that no, it's lane, the bro. most dangerous country in the world it's it's one of the most dangerous countries in the world and you're going out there and you're kind of setting the tone and you know even when you guys popped up in spain i mean by putting a strain hunters in spain like you're doubling down on the culture out there like you're doubling down on like it being more relaxed out there like you guys are actually spending time and trying to make sure that people evolve and that this becomes normalized yeah. you know Speaking of Spain, like you've been in Amsterdam for many for a long time. How long have you been in Spain for? I live twelve years in Spain, thirteen years in the meantime. When it comes to the markets, like Spain, kind of has a similar vibe to Amsterdam, right? The social clubs, coffee yeah. shops. Yes. Which one do you prefer more? Like, do you prefer like the vibe in Amsterdam and like kind of like the way that things run and work in Amsterdam, or do you prefer Spain as an operator, right? Like, yeah, I prefer. Well, Spain is a non-profit situation. So again, here, we don't make any money there. We just basically employ 20 people and everybody's happy. You're just and providing a place for people to come together. Yeah, and we have and, a hub yeah. because Barcelona is a great city. It's close yeah. to Ibiza. It's it's the gateway to South America. Look, we are we are number one with our nutrients and our seeds in Argentina and in Chile and that's kind of country. So it makes sense for us to be with some headquarter in, in, in Spain. But true, I prefer the Amsterdam system where you don't need to validate yourself with a control of a pass and you can only buy so much and all that kind of stuff, you know? In Amsterdam, you just walk in and you just sit down and smoke a joint and you walk out again. It should be free, yeah? A plant that is kept in jail because politicians don't like us, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. So Spain is still all non-profit? Yeah, non-profit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess the good thing about Spain is that they're trying they're trying to get it going. I mean, it's cool to see the social clubs there. Like, the food scene there is super cool, too. Like, I like the food in Spain a lot. Yeah, and, the food and, is amazing. And Amsterdam has stepped it up a lot on the food, too. Yeah. We have now, I think just three weeks ago, we were looking at the new Michelin Guide. Ten years ago, we had three Michelin stars. I think we have 24 now. Yeah, when I first went to Amsterdam, like, when I was younger, it was all, like, Argentinian steakhouses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was it. Like, yeah. It was that or KFC or McDonald's. And I've been there on Thanksgiving at least three or four times. Yeah. Because that that's when the High Times Cup was. Yeah. And I ate KFC or McDonald's for Thanksgiving multiple times. But now, there's fire-ass Japanese restaurants. Like, it's really evolved, like, on, on the food scene a little bit. Yeah. Was that place you guys sent me to? Izakaya or whatever? Something like that? Izakaya. Yeah. yeah have, we have much better ones now. You mentioned nutrients. Um, powder feeding. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, uh, I'm still very sure. We were the first ones in the world 10 years ago. We had a lot of growers in Mexico and God knows where they were all in the mountains. And I was looking at the normal agriculture industry and I thought, you know, this doesn't make sense, liquids. You know, you're carrying all these heavy liquids and you're not, it's not sustainable on the long run. And I was speaking to guys from University of Wageningen, which is probably the world's best agriculture and university in the world, and said, yeah, you guys should just make powders like we do in the normal agriculture industry. Change the game. So we did that. Now everybody in America is doing it, you know, but I still consider, I think our and the bio version and the, and the, and the mineral version, I think our 
um, mineral line, which is totally clean and also only obtained in Germany and in Switzerland ingredients. Yeah, so they're not Chinese or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although China has got some good ones, but it's not as good as the German quality and uh, and and Swiss quality. We by far have the cleanest product in the world, and also I think the best product if you look at it turp-wise. How how much did it help you? Like when it came to like just your operations in general, like. How much did it help people in general, powder feeding? Like, for the people that are listening that don't grow weed, they just are listening because they they like to smoke weed, they want to see what chopping game is all about. Like, how big of a game changer was coming with powder feeding and how much did it help people, like, to- t- Totally, because you have many, many companies where you have three components or preferable eight or nine. And, you know, here's the problem. For example, greenhouse powder feeding you will not find in, in, in all the shops because the shop owner doesn't really want to sell it. Because on, a, on a, a fancy brand, he's making $300. And on my brand, he's making 40 bucks. Mm. So now here you are, the shop owner. There's this new kid coming in with his, he's very enthusiastic about growing. You go, oh, you need this. You need to add that. You need to add that. No, you don't have to add that. You have to buy a really good brand called Greenhouse Feeding. Yeah, you put that powder in you. I think the biological one we have is fucking amazing. And you'll have the best result ever. And you don't pay so much. But, it's you know, affordable, it's, it's proven, it's been working. Look at guys like Todd McCormick, who's a big advocate, friend of Woody Harrison. He uses it already for years. He said, Arian, it's by far the best product in the whole world, you know? Of course, there's a lot of American companies that all stimulate each other and have the best and, and media, media, media. Yeah, of course, there's other products there, but this is by far the best product in the world, I think. And we don't stimulated a lot we're going to do that probably in the future also together because yeah my focus always has been genetics and seeds the coffee shops i have i really like them as you know we build them all ourselves but those are a necessity because otherwise i can't sell my pot and people can enjoy the, the herb the way they're supposed to because when you go into one of your stores especially the one in uh in uh barcelona the strain is there yeah. it's so fucking beautiful man yeah. like the way you guys do the lighting and the way the tables look and the way things feel like it's a, it's its own vibe. Like, how did you come up with that whole vibe? Like, did you have to hire like someone to help you come no, up with that shit? Like, no, all we do everything ourselves. This guy got some crazy good yeah. taste because when you go inside when you go inside Strain Hunters in Barcelona, you don't want to leave there, bro. No, I know it's nice, but I saw some pictures of something that you are creating somewhere. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to go there. Yeah. Flagship store soon, huh? You know, you know. At the end of the day, like. To even be able to sit down with you and have this conversation, let alone work with you and build with you, it's. I keep going back to that time when I was in Amsterdam trying to figure out how to get your attention because I remember being there and there was all. I these think you people. were eighteen when you came yeah, the first 18, time with your 18, friends, yeah. huh? Eighteen. How old are you now? I'm thirty-eight. Shit, man, that's twenty years ago. Yeah, twenty years ago, and Shit. I remember trying to get your attention, like, how can I get a hold of this dude, man? This guy's the man. Yeah. I used to want to live out there, man, and yeah. work. Yeah. And uh, I mean. We we've done we've done some cool stuff together, but I think like the most the biggest things are soon to come. I know? think so too. Well, look, it was for me also an honor to work with you because I have to say what you pulled off in America, chapeau. Nobody else ever pulled off something so amazing. Uh, you created this huge empire, which also makes our life easier again in Europe because we can look so these flagship stores in America, look how great they are. These are people from the music industry, look how great they are. And the mayors are looking at this, you know? Yeah. So why are we going backwards when there's great 
people from the music industry they're all moving in they see Elon Musk smoking a joint on television yeah. this help, helps us a lot when billionaires start doing this kind of thing you know because everyone loves weed man all different walks of life no but you see your 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 cookies enterprise which which you created into a billion dollar uh, uh, thing they see that and you know we are really proud to talk about that and when we see you doing that that's that's really amazing and and helping also us a lot in Europe you know We both we both push each, push each other. Amsterdam kind of pushed us to kind of do our thing. We're pushing, you know, Europe to do their thing. Yeah. We all kind. Of, I mean, look, if Virginia legalized weed, if Virginia legalized weed, Amsterdam has to understand what time yeah. it is. The world wants it. Well, we we opened together the first cookie store, like not even a year ago. When did we open? You have to come now, it's soon, eh? I haven't seen it yet, bro. You haven't I, seen your own store, man. I have not seen the own store. I want to be there, man. Like, you guys executed beautifully. Yeah, as, it looks nice, As man. always, like, the place looks incredible. I've had a couple of friends call me from Amsterdam, like, bro, this is unreal. Like, yeah. We're here, and that was, like, the last time I seen Franco was in that building. So that yeah. building means a lot to yeah. me. Like, yeah. Good memories in that building. Good times in that building. It's a legendary spot. You guys have an incredible chicken sandwich there too. Mm. You know when you're high and you got the a milkshake food. The milkshakes. Oh my god, those the milkshakes! milkshakes are I, can't, good. I probably can't do milkshakes anymore. But well, we find something nice. We'll, healthy. we'll just have one. But yeah, look, you you make seeds. You own coffee shops. You feed on hunt. You grow herb. What's your, what's what do you love most about the cannabis industry? Like everything you've done in 40 years. Like what do I you think love? making new varieties. Like now we got the. Lemon and orange, and we got the full gas coming. We got uh, three banana crosses coming. You know, making these new crosses with your friends, and then fe and putting them out, and pheno hunting them, and oh, this is new. Nobody's you got. You, you enjoy the creative part of the business more. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. I would now, say so. Now, as someone that like breeds and has been doing this for a long time, putting out seeds, I was asked this question. It's a pretty big debate: indoor or sun grown? To smoke. Just smoke, just for, I, for I the full potential of the flower. Like, what what gives the plant more justice? Sun grown. Sun grown, right? I say sun grown. Look, I'm a turp guy. I used to be a chef. The weed doesn't have to be so strong for me. Of course, indoor it will be a little bit stronger. But if you want to get fucked up, then smoke a second joint. Yeah. But the turps outside, especially here in North California, you guys have the best climate in the world, but also Africa, even yeah, Spain. Yeah, I was going to ask you, so like, if the seeds are coming out like that, what's the herb coming out like in Africa? Yeah, great. Great, right? Yeah, great. You know? It's just a little bit less strong because that's what all outdoor weed is not 31% and 27%, you know what I mean? Yeah. But and who, also, cares, who cares about that? And it's about taste, no? It's about taste. It's also about letting the plant do what it's supposed to do because yeah. if you think about it, one of my guys, uh, Tim Blake, when I did an interview with him, shout out to Tim Blake, he told me, The only reason why people grow indoors is because they were hiding from the helicopters. They brought it indoors, right? Now you can control the climate. You can make the bud look a lot prettier. You could, yeah, of course, right? Listen. But it started outdoors. Listen, did you ever see, in every big, big television show, wherever I go, did you ever see somebody growing potatoes in a city? No. Why are we in the city? Because we had to hide our stuff. Exactly. This is the only reason. Where do you think this viroid is coming from now that's killing everybody's plants? Yeah, fuck, dude. That's like the AIDS of fucking cannabis. Look at, look, when we look now back, we look at Corona, yeah? And I've been, before Corona, look my post from March when Corona started, 2020. I told everybody, it's going to take one to two years. You can look my post back. I said, why are we not doing fast testing? Holland, we blame, we blame Africa for 
HIV. We blame China for Corona, for COVID. Yeah, it all come from there. Yeah, HIV all come from Africa. But what do you think comes from my country? Mad cow disease, bird flu. Yeah, we're locking up all those animals in cages. Mm-hmm. These, they are going to give us new diseases. And I can predict here now, right now here on your Couchlot Network, which love the logo, by the way. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Love the logo. I can, in the next 20 years, we're going to get a viroid or a virus, which is not going to kill one on 100, but one on 10. It's going to be much bigger because the plant earth is much stronger than us. Yeah. We are a little bit doing the same with plants indoor. Now you see the guys who are stacking, yeah, which is completely ridiculous, I think. But yeah, if you have a situation where you cannot do otherwise, okay, we're going to do it like that. But plants should be out in the open. Then the same discussion we can have, how far could we go with plant patent, what some companies are doing now, you know? Like, it's a big problem in the agriculture industry because huge companies like Bayer now go to Africa, say, you only can buy my seed. And if you buy my seed, you can only use this fertilizer and this pesticide, and it's all GMO. Do, does this plant want this? Because it's ruining our soil. Like part of Morocco is totally ruined because they only use minerals instead of uh, biologic organic growing, you know? That's happening here too. I, I, I think I've seen a whole documentary. I think Woody Harrelson did a whole, a voice or did a voice over a whole documentary about that, about like farming and what's going wrong with it in the US. I, I believe, maybe I'm super high. No, 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 no. I think so, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so yeah. too, yeah. yeah. No, but it's very clear, you know, if you have a, 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 piece of, a piece of land which has been organically farmed or which one has been, let's say, chemical farmed, the soil is dead there. If you get the organic, you can keep going. So the problem is, and this is scientifically also proven, we don't have enough space on this planet to grow organically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have now 7 million people, 7 billion people, sorry, and we're going to go to 15 or 20 billion people by 2050, oh, 60, man. 70. It's about to be a shit show. And that is just technically not possible if we don't do GMO. Yeah. Yeah, so you're going to have more crops. You're going That crop is going to be a better crop, uses less water and uses less pesticides. But do we want to go in this route because... How can we control the population of this planet? How can we control America, or Russia, or Africa, or Asia, whatever, you know? It's like, going gonna to get out of hand. It's already out of hand. If you live in Kinshasa and Congo, where I've lived for four years, and I was there with dust, we have many footage, you can see it is also on Instagram. There is 22 million people in the city with no sewer and no traffic lights. Oh, man. It's, it's, it's there, it's Ebola now, Yeah, you know? Um, so this is just a huge problem, you know? So, yeah, I, I, the question is, if we can do sun-grown, let's go for sun-grown. Yeah, look, I know it looks really nice, cosmetic, you know, when we have the weed and yeah, it's I mean, look, And I like indoor growing also. But I've it's seen cool. it, I've seen it, like, the, as long as I've been in the game, when I see really, really good outdoor you smoke it the it's high just, the it, high is different the yeah. smell the t- if it's if, if well you have a different turpin profile than in and outdoor right? it's just yeah. that you know it's very simple you just do a turpin test but the sunlight just is a different one than indoor that, that's what the plant wants that's where it started yeah. now i see these seeds in front of us right and i'm not gonna say what they are because i know what they are but we're gonna pop these yeah since you're on the show and i like to put pressure sometimes what is the possibility of us expanding this category Especially with you having what you have going on in the Congo, having what you have going on in in, uh, in uh, Colombia. Yeah, 
it was a life goal to even get a chance to meet you, then to be able to become your friend. And I've, you know, confided in you with health health issues and asked advice in life and business. Like, we've never really cracked off things like this. Like, what's what's the opportunity that we can do together on this? I think we can do any possibility you want now because America is open. Mm-hmm. So Greener Seed Company is also entering nation, uh, nationwide the American seed market. So we're going to sell. And uh, yeah, we have a lot of crossovers. Do you see a world where we could share our, our platforms with each other? Like totally. Totally. We use your stores in Europe. We use our stores in, exactly. in the U.S. And we kind of just yeah. do breeding projects here in the U.S., do yeah. breeding projects in Europe. And exactly. Kinda... We sell all our stuff on each other's websites. You know, we have like we have the whole world covered outside the United States. In the United States, you have everything covered. We can make the seeds here. We have legal license to transfer to 27 countries in the world. Talk your shit because that, that's why we call this chopping game. Like, and, and that's why I love having guests like this. Like, this is my brother right here. And I've been waiting to figure out a kind of play to do with him. And yeah. when you brought these seeds, my mind was racing on like, look, if you, if you can legally bring things to other countries, which the whole world is opening up with cannabis. And yeah. our, our genetics have been leaked forever. And, yeah. and, and we understand that. We accept it. We're, just like you said, I take it as a compliment. But I think it's time that we jump in the game officially. And that we do, you know, some of our staples for people that want yeah. the staples, but then we get creative on the breeding. I would I love think to look so at too. your library and see yeah. what you have from the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. And I would love to look at what's popping now and get really, really creative and do some dope shit. Well, also that, you know, like America is used to eight-week turnover plants because that's what the investor wants, that's what the LP wants, blah, blah, blah. But if you and me make new stuff together, a and we sell a stuff. bunch of new stuff, yeah. and we go only to retail... Yeah. yeah. Then the retail guy will buy 10, 10, 10 seeds of super silver For haze, sure. which grows two meter or whatever. For and sure. he will put it in his garden. So that's the whole new possibilities that we had. And me and Dust were thinking, Dust said, why are not they doing this? Why are they not doing this? I said, well, you think we should? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, let's cross it with the super lemon haze. So we took six or seven of your great varieties. And we've crossed them, and here's the result. That, that, that's what's in the bag, right? That's what's in the bag. And see, my, my boy knows the game. Just like he put down that $10,000 to get the building, he brought this to me and said, Burn, you know how the game works. Just try them. I just I just did this for you real quick. Run them. If you like it, then let's get to work. And I already know I'm going to like what I find. And I think that people in the European markets and people all around the world, the other countries that you guys legally get see to in the U.S. would appreciate some cool ass collabs because you got stuff in the in the vault that I just hasn't been busted out in a long time. No, and what also is uh, you know we of course you know you guys are so super busy with everything because your 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 empire is growing like crazy and it's good you're doing this. But I see it with myself too. You know, like I have Joachim, you have a few people, yeah, mm-hmm. and. Yo is taking care of all the clubs. I never you have, have to worry. You have I have Stingy. Yo yes. is probably better than Stingy, but... And we, we even joked about them boxing. We, we said, who would win in boxing? I think Yo would beat Stingy's ass, personally, but... Well, Yo went a few times in the ring, you know. Yeah, so you, he's, he's Yo got a little real advantage. One, yeah. And you got, you got so, <laughs> I can totally concentrate on the seeds yeah. and on the genetics, you know. So, that it would be great, you know, that we can help each other out with making the cookie seeds. And your brand is in seeds, not out there yet. Which we, we haven't even done yet. And, and that's why we let people just do their thing. Like, yeah. let them take the gelatos, the sherbets, yeah. the cookies, the cherry. Let them have fun with that. Because the stuff that we're finding now, if you take that and you go ahead and hit it with some of the stuff that you have in the vault, that's what they're not ready for. Because no. other people ain't been in the game since 85. No. Other people don't have 
the real skunks, the real, the real old school white widows, the yeah. old school super silver hazes. I love super. I used to sell a lot of super silver haze. So yeah. we got some cool things coming for them. I'm fired up that you're even open to it. Yeah, I did want to ask you, man. Like for you being 40 years in the game, with your son already asking about being able to come on trips with you when when he's old enough. Like, what's the end goal for you, man? I don't think there is an end goal. I'm just going to keep doing this. I hope he's going to come in with my other son also and he's going to be there. And yeah, you know, I just enjoy every day of my life working with cannabis. I don't want to sit on a couch, do nothing. Yeah. You know, now I've been, look, sometimes it's really hard, you know, and you sometimes think, oh man, you know, but then again, I come home and I think, yeah, I'm, I'm the most happy guy in the world. Because you travel a lot, though, man. Like, well, look the last six weeks. Yeah. So, 15 March, which is that? That's seven weeks ago. 15 March, Barcelona, one week. Then two days back to Holland, straight to Cape Town, seven days. Cape Town Cups, first South African Cup, big show, thirty-five thousand people. Three days back, Rome, Naples, and Bologna, two big shows. Three days back, seven days, Colombia. Talking about the farm, but we're going to set up. Where you going to come? setting up that whole farm. Two glass houses are ready, talking to the whole team, you know, what are we gonna do? Who's gonna do this, blah, blah, blah. Back to Holland two days. And now here, Hall of Flowers and you. This is six weeks of traveling. Yeah, yeah, you haven't, you haven't, and I know you probably have a beautiful home and you got your family there and it's just cool to see someone, you know, that's been in, you've been in it for 40 years, I've been in it for 20 years. The fact you're still fired up and doing it, it means you're passionate about it. It means you, you do it because you want to do it. Yeah, yeah. But how great, you know how long I've been waiting to enter the American market? With oh, it's going to be on a pop-in. And it's now. Yeah, it's, it's and, on a pop-in. And, and, like, and now together with you, you know, we're going to make seats together and we're going to put our brands out together on, the, on, on, on social media. How amazing is that? Yeah. It just gives me a lot of super energy, you know? It's full circle, man. I went, I went out to Amsterdam to learn about what hospitality and cannabis business was supposed to look like and I ended up working with you. I remember you was still going to tell you the story about the letter that I sent to the mayor and to the cop. Yeah. So I become this... The cannabis spokesman, not for 12 years, I was parliament and Dutch television, all these things. So at one point we were stuck, you know, because the mayor said, okay, he, the mayor lost from this woman, you know? So I said, okay, I'm not gonna close you guys, but we're gonna have to come up with some kind of rules. There was no rules, you know? Rules were made by Dutch government, A-H-O-G-J. A, no advertisement. J, no young people under 18. G, no big transactions above five grams and the O for no disturbance in the street. So that was all implemented. And then if you violate those rules, first time is a warning, second time is one week closed, third time two weeks closed, and fourth time indefinite, yeah? So he came to me and I had to like frame this with, the, with, the, with, the, with my background, with all the coffee shop owners, with all Amsterdam guys. So Arjan, we're not gonna take no rules. I said, listen guys, if we don't make our own rules now, the government's gonna put rules on us. Let's just make a deal with this mayor and figure it out. So up and down, up and down. And at one point I was sitting there and he opened his drawer and he pulled out this letter that I said four years ago in 92, mm -hmm. this is 96. Mm -hmm. And he said, the reason I picked you out to be my spokesman, because four years ago he sent me that letter. Smart. He said, I never had a letter from a criminal. He said no, it like no, that. No, no. no, but that's what he said. Yeah. But with a joke, you know? Yeah. And he said, so we understand each other directly. And I remember, hey, you're a very smart mayor. And I, I respect you. He respects me. And, and we worked it out. And those same rules are still implemented right now. That's now right. we have a new mayor. 
this new mayor wants to put out the tourist, and we talked about it a little bit briefly. The only reason she wants to do that is because she's huge on the pressure, because the old town of Amsterdam is way too busy. Apparently, they have never been in London, Prague, or Barcelona, where it's six times more busy. Yeah, I think we're going to win. I think we're going to win the case. The whole council is behind us. Joa is fighting for his life day and night. You know, props to him. And shout out to Joa. Yeah, shout out to Joa. And I think he's going to. We're going to win, and it's going to take for a few more years. But then, in the meantime, also legalization is happening. Maybe five, six, seven, eight years down the road, and then anyway, they cannot not allow tourists inside because if it's legal, it's legal for everybody. And which I think also, if they do that, it's kind of a racial thing too. Eh? Yeah, you, can't, um, you, can't, you can't count out the tourists. The tourists have kept Amsterdam alive for many years, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, just doing that would be kind of like, it would it would hurt the retailers out there in general, not just the coffee shops, but the all the little food spots, all the little spots right there. And I mean, people come to Amsterdam to get high, to come check out you know the beautiful... Beautiful city, but I think the shutting the tours off would be really bad for business for everyone. Yeah. Out of all the strains you've made, right? And you've made a lot. What's your favorite strain? Hawaiian snow. Hawaiian snow. Which is? Is the way to go. Which, what is the cross on Hawaiian snow? It's a Central African cross with uh, some seeds. I got one day from a very old grower in Hawaii. And we call it Hawaiian snow. And you still have it? Yeah, I still have it. I still sell it. Yeah, that that's the top of the list. Yeah, that's a, project. A, yeah, that's a seven or eight week flowering plant. Well, of course, the lemon and uh, and the ultra hazel, which are phenos of the super silver haze, are also extremely well to grow. Just remind those plants are all growing six, seven feet. I just want to ask you because if the one you're most fired up on is Hawaiian snow, then that's where we're going to kick our breeding project off. Like when we do something like you know our first official collab, like yeah. We go dive into the to the vault. We'll have to do the Hawaiian snow with some, maybe the London pound cake or something like that. Yeah. Lemoncello. Well, don't forget Super Silver Haze, huh? Super Silver Haze. That's, that's, I mean, bro. You know, I smell a lot. It was like a grapey, it was like a grapey, like skunky kind of vibe on that. It was so good. The red hair, like Super Silver Haze was one of my favorites coming up. For and sure. you still smell it a lot through American Strains, yeah. huh? Yeah. I, I smell it. Yesterday, I had to do 80 jars somewhere and at least. 15, 20 jars, I smelled super silver on the back. I mean, when I was a young kid running the hemp center, that was one of my favorite strains. I sold the shit out of super, yeah. uh, super silver haze. And I, I kind of want to end it like this, man. The name of the show is Chopping Game. For anyone out there listening or watching that is a breeder, uh, you know, the owner of a, a shop, you know, a dispensary, an operator, um, someone someone in the game like what advice can you give them people always ask me for advice but you've been doing this for a long time and I, you know I want to kind of hear your advice for the people out there like I mean just one on like how to just go ahead and give your advice to them I think there's a few things you have to be really uh, keep in mind and this is what I think is you have to first of all be very passionate that's what that's I with say. every business very passionate yeah that's what I always say real game be humble Mm-hmm. Yeah, and be honest. Yes. I think if you do those three things, you wind up with good people around you and you can make something great. A lot of people are living in a rush when it comes to their business. A lot of people backdooring and doing weird things and just trying to trying to move so fast. And I think that being passionate, being humble, being honest and having a purpose in what you do is the best. I, I use three, three out of the four. The only one that I would add is have a purpose, but spot on. You heard it from the man. This is my brother right here. Uh, I've known him since I was 18 years old. Finally about to do some real business. 
We're going to do some really incredible collabs, new stuff with some stuff that he's worked on in the past. I think people will really enjoy it. For the American market, get ready. We're going to bring his seeds in-house. For all the other markets outside of the U.S., get ready. We're going to bring our gear out there. And this was a legendary first episode of Chopping Game. And I definitely appreciate you coming over here. And, and also all the work you put in, man. Like, you put in a lot of work, and it's changed the world for the better. And you've been a lot of the reasons why people had to step their game up. And other countries had to do what they did and make it right. So I appreciate the good fight, man. That's, that's, yeah. that's a long time dedicated to the game, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And luckily, it changed a lot into the into the good side. Look what's happening in America. Look what an amazing uh, company you have built. Super proud of you. Like this is unheard of 20 years ago, but you created this great empire. And uh, yeah, so we are far, but let not, let's not forget there's still a lot of people in prison. Yeah, there's, for a, lot nothing. Of people, yeah. there's a lot of people in prison for nothing. There's a lot of people being, uh, you know, having their having you know not being able to buy property buy cars get yeah. loans they're they're well, discriminating a lot of people in general all of us still with bank accounts you yeah, know no, no banks but look i think it's people like yourself that inspire people like me that will inspire the next generation to keep pushing bro because i don't think what i've done would have been possible if i didn't go to amsterdam at 18 years old and see your shop full of people bonding having a good time yeah. smoking good cannabis socializing and coming together like Bringing people together is yeah. one of my favorite things about what we do. And, like, I learned a lot of that in, in your shop, in the Red Light District, you know. Um, well, you send your kids to me. I'll send ducks to you when he's 18. Please. I'll send 420 to you. You keep him three months with you and I'll, send him back. I'll, I'll game him up, man. <laughs> game sure. him up. I appreciate you coming through today, brother. Legend, legendary amazing. conversation, legendary. man. My boy. A lot of game on this episode. This is the first episode of Chopping Game. We're going to bring this podcast back. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple Music, or watching on YouTube, tell your friends because we're just getting started. I had to kick this shit off with the man himself, Aryan. You already know what time it is. Salute. <laughs>